We are all disciples, followers, learners, students of something or someone. Always learning, listening, and wanting to either be taught by others or teach others. Jesus calls his followers to be disciples of him above all else and to invite others into his way to make disciples that make disciples. Well, all right. Well, good morning, everyone. It's uh, great to have you here at the Medina East Campus of Grace. And uh, like Kevin just said a minute ago, if you happen to be a guest with us here this morning, and so if it's your first time uh, either being in person or if it's your first time catching us on live stream, uh, I just want to extend just a very, very special welcome to you. Thanks so much for being our guest. Uh, we count it such an honor that you would spend your time with us. I know there's a lot of things uh, that you could be doing with your time. There's a lot of things that are competing for your attention. Some of you still have a lot of Christmas shopping to do. And so for you guys to take some time and be here. That just means a lot to us. So thanks for being our guest. Um, I will say that if you are new or you're just maybe joining us for the first time, uh, we are actually in week four. So the fourth week of a series that we've been in that's been called Disciples of Something. And so uh, just to kind of catch you up to speed with what we've been talking about, really, just like the title says uh, in the series, what we're saying is uh, that we are all, every single one of us, we are all disciples of of something. We're all disciples of something. And I know that might sound like a weird way to put it, uh, but the word disciple is actually a pretty simple word. It just means students. It means learner. It means follower. And what we're saying is that all of us are students, learners. We're all followers of, of something. I, I love the way uh, Pastor Steve actually said it in the opening week. If you were here, uh, you might remember, this is actually what Steve said. He said, we're all disciples, followers, learners, students of something or someone always learning, listening, and wanting to either be taught by others or teach others. I think what he said there is so true. You know, the, the, the truth is, whether we, whether we are aware of it or not, whether we like it or not, whether it's intentional or not, uh, all of us are disciples of something. We all allow certain voices to come in that influence the way that we think, the way that we act, the way that we respond to the world around us. All of us do that. And all of us uh, have a, a proclivity to elevate certain voices, to allow them to have more weight and to have more influence in our life, to impact how we think. Whether that is you know, podcasters or newscasters or YouTubers or teachers or social commentators or pastors or whatever that might be, uh, we all allow those influences into uh, our life. And we said it's probably a good question for us to just kind of consider, what is it that we are disciples of? We're all disciples of something, uh, what is it that we are followers and disciples of? And I think that this is actually a really, really important question uh, for those who follow Jesus to ask. And the reason Pastor Steve uh, said it this way, I think this is really good, he said it this way. He said, uh, Jesus calls his followers to be disciples of him above all else and to invite others into his ways to make disciples that make disciples. And so he said, I think this is a really important conversation, especially for those of us who follow Jesus, which I know is not everybody. But for those of us who follow Christ, we said Jesus actually calls us to be disciples of him above all other things, that his voice carries the most weight and authority and influence in how we think and how we act. And on top of that, we said that Jesus actually calls his disciples, those who follow him, to in turn make disciples to help other people know and follow Jesus. And so in a lot of ways, if I could summarize what we're talking about in this series in a nutshell, I'd put it this way. This series is all about disciples of Jesus making disciples of Jesus. That's actually just what we're talking about and what we're thinking about in this series. What does it look like for disciples of Jesus to make disciples of Jesus? Now, I do just wanna say, uh, like I had mentioned, this is week four. 
So that means that there has been three weeks prior to this week. And I would just encourage you, if you missed any of those previous talks, I think it actually would be really great if you could go back and listen to those. Uh, the reason is because it lays a very important foundation, uh, specifically a biblical foundation that I think is really essential to kind of understanding this conversation. But today, what my hope is, is I actually uh, really hope to add a lot of practicality to this whole, this whole idea of disciples making disciples of Jesus. This is my whole goal and my whole aim is that today maybe we can get kind of practical and we can talk about practically speaking, what does it look like for disciples of Jesus to make disciples of Jesus? In 21st century America, for those who are followers of Christ, what does that even look like for disciples of Jesus to make disciples? That's what I want to talk about. Now, let me just say this. I am fully aware uh, that when I say that, that uh, for some of you, there are some of you who are here today who are in this room or some who are watching online or some who are listening right now, I'm fully aware there's some of you who would say that you are not a disciple of Jesus. Uh, I am completely aware that there are some of you who are uh, maybe investigating Jesus. You're still trying to piece together what you believe about faith and what you believe about God and all of those things. And, and can I just say this? And, and listen, we say this all the time, uh, but I, I, I really mean this from the bottom of my heart. If you're a person who's investigating Jesus, we consider it the highest privilege that you would let us be part of your investigation. We know you could go anywhere you want. And the fact that you're here, we just consider that a huge responsibility. So thank you for that. But I also wanna say this. If you're a person that's investigating Jesus, even though uh, today we're talking specifically about how disciples of Jesus make disciples, and if you're investigating Jesus, you're not a disciple of Jesus, I'm actually glad you're here. And let me tell you why I'm glad you're here. Because I believe that today's conversation, that in today's conversation, we're gonna deal with an issue that oftentimes causes people to have issues with Christians. And so I'm actually glad you're here because I think that this issue that we're gonna talk about is one of those issues that causes people who don't follow Jesus to have issues with people who follow Jesus. And so my hope is that maybe we can actually speak into that in a healthy way. All right, so uh, what are we talking about and, uh, and, and, and how exactly do we engage in a conversation about practically speaking disciples of Jesus making disciples. Well, I think a good place to start is I'd love to invite you to grab your Bible. So if you got a Bible, if you would join me, we're gonna go to 2 Timothy chapter two. Okay, so I'd invite you to get a Bible in front of you, if you would, open it up with me to 2 Timothy chapter two. Um, if you didn't bring a Bible with you or you don't own a Bible, you can just grab one from under the chairs, page uh, 964 in those Bibles that are under the chairs. And then let me also say, and if you don't own a copy of the Bible, we actually would really love for you to have one. And so you can take one of those Bibles and make it a gift from us to you. It's an early Christmas present. There you go. So Second uh, uh, Timothy chapter two. Uh, as you're finding that, and I hope you have that in front of you, uh, today uh, we're actually just gonna be looking primarily at two verses, just two verses, Second uh, Timothy verses one and two. But I believe in these, these simple verses that we're gonna look at, that contained within them is an immense amount of practical insight as it relates to disciples of Jesus making disciples. In fact, specifically, I think that there's three main questions uh, that we are gonna get insight into in this passage. And here they are. So this is kind of an outline of what we're gonna talk about today. Uh, disciples of Jesus making disciples of Jesus, practically speaking, uh, first off, who? Okay, so uh, as disciples of Jesus look to make disciples of Jesus, I think one of the questions is, who, who should I seek out in disciple making? I think this passage is gonna help us with that. Secondly, how? how? How does this look? How does this show up in my calendar, in my life, in 21st century America? How does this actually look? 
for disciples of Jesus to make disciples of Jesus. And then uh, lastly, we're going to talk about why. Just what's the motivation? Why would disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus? And by the way, I want to encourage you that you really just tune in for the whole conversation. Uh, specifically, though, I think this last one's very significant. And I think if we miss the why, that uh, we can really, we can really um, get ourselves into some, into some uh, trouble as it relates to this whole, this whole conversation. So let's start with the first one. Uh, let's talk about who. Okay, so who? Well, uh, I think some great insight is in the passage. Let's read it together. 2 Timothy chapter 2, here are the first uh, two verses. So a small amount of background for you. Uh, this, uh, the book of 2 Timothy was actually written by a guy named the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul was uh, a very influential early Christian missionary, and he would go around and tell people about Jesus. And he's actually writing a letter to his protege, a guy named Timothy, all right? So it's the reason it's called 2 Timothy is because it's the second letter that we have on record that was written to this guy, Timothy. So here's what Paul says to him. Does you then, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to entrust to reliable people who also be qualified to teach others. All right, so there you have it, two very simple verses. But like I said, I think within these verses, there is contained a great amount of practical insight. So who, right, who? As it relates to disciples, making disciples, who are we to focus on? Who are we, who do we desire to see become disciples of Jesus? And I think if you look into this verse and you were to ask the apostle Paul that question, I think the answer is actually twofold. I think it's twofold. And what is it? Well, I think it's this. I think, I think the Apostle Paul would say, well, everyone and someone. I think that's what Paul would say. If you said, uh, Paul, disciples making disciples, who should we seek out? Who do we desire to see become a disciple of Jesus Christ? I think Paul would say, well, uh, on one hand, everyone, and on the other hand, someone. And some of you are like, that does not help me at all. I thought you said this is practical. That doesn't narrow it down at all. But I actually think, I actually think this is actually really, if you think about it, it's actually really, really helpful. So just think about it with me for a second. Look at what the Apostle Paul says. So go back with me and look at this passage. He says to Timothy, he says, the things that you have heard me say in the presence of, and I want you to notice this, many witnesses. He says, I want you to entrust those things to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. So what does Paul say? He says, the things you have heard me say, Timothy, in the presence of many, in the presence of many witnesses. Now, what is that talking about? Well, see, I think at this point, uh, it's actually helpful for us to know a little bit of the background uh, of what's behind these words. And specifically, I think it's helpful for us to know a little bit about the guy who wrote these words. Um, so, like I said, the, the book of 2 Timothy, we call it a book uh, of the Bible, and that's actually misleading. It's actually more like a letter and it was written by Paul to this guy named Timothy, like we, like we had said earlier. But here's the thing about the Apostle Paul. If you've never heard of him, my guess is even if you're a person who's not familiar with the Bible, you have probably at least, you're probably at least somewhat vaguely familiar with the Apostle Paul. But his story is basically this. The Apostle Paul was a man who was vehemently against Jesus. I mean, vehemently against Jesus. And then one day, he had a radical encounter, life-altering encounter with Jesus. You can read about it in Acts chapter 9. And the Bible tells us that after he had this interaction with Jesus Christ, his life was utterly and totally flipped upside down. 
and the, priority of, uh, the priorities of his life and the passions of his life were totally changed. And, and we learn that after the Apostle Paul met Jesus, that the driving passion of his life was that he wanted to tell everybody about Jesus. He wanted everyone to know and he wanted everyone to follow Jesus. And he would travel around the world telling people that message. In fact, let me show you a couple verses that, that you see Paul express this passion. So this is Colossians chapter one. Here's what Paul says. He says that he, Jesus, is the one that we proclaim, admonishing and teaching, and I notice this, everyone, everyone with all wisdom so that we may present, look at this, everyone fully mature in Christ to this end. In other words, this is the driving ambition of my life. To this end, I strenuously contend with all of the energy that Christ so powerfully works within me. You guys hear the language? What's Paul say? I want everyone to know Jesus. I want to see everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all of the energy that God has put within me. This was Paul's driving ambition in life, is that everyone knew Jesus. There's another passage, 1 Corinthians 9. Paul says, I have become... Notice the all-inclusive language. I have become all things. To who? To all people, everyone. Why? So that by all means, I might save some. My driving ambition is that other people might know Jesus. What I want you to see is that for the Apostle Paul, his desire to make disciples was all-consuming. It was all-consuming and it was all-encompassing. And I believe that this passion that you see in the Apostle Paul is actually a reflection of the commission that Jesus Christ himself gave. Now, if you were here last week, you might remember Pastor Kevin took us through Matthew 28, which is sometimes called the Great Commission. And at the end of Jesus's ministry, Jesus looked at his disciples, and what did he say to them? He said, I want you to go and make disciples. Now, notice this, of who? Of everyone, all nations. I'm pretty sure all nations includes everybody. And so Jesus is saying, in one sense, who do we make disciples of? Everyone. Everyone, the, the, the heart of a disciple of Christ is that all people might know and follow Christ, right? To all nations, all people groups. So who, who do we make disciples of? Well, everyone, everyone. My neighbors, my coworkers, my friends, people who are like me, people who are not like me, people who vote like me, people who don't vote like me, people who are in my social category, people who are outside of my social category, people who I get along with, people who I don't get along with. Browns fans, Steelers fans, both sides of the thing. All, all nations is what he would say. And, and, and listen, let me, just, let me just tell you, for those of us who are disciples of Christ, and again, I know not everyone here today is a follower of Jesus, but for those of us who are followers of Jesus, if I'm reading scripture correctly, our entire life is intended to be one gigantic arrow that just points people to the awesomeness of Jesus Christ. That's what our life is intended to be, in our speech, in our actions, in the way we conduct ourselves, in our relationships. Now, hear me, we don't do this perfectly. Nobody does. In fact, I think that even in our failures, it's an opportunity to point people to the awesomeness of Jesus Christ. And so let me just say that as a follower of Jesus, I am a follower of Christ, that as a follower of Jesus, my unapologetic desire for every human being on planet Earth is that they might know and follow Jesus. My unapologetic desire for everybody in this room, and I don't even know what you believe, but my unapologetic desire is that you would know 
and that you would follow Jesus. For anyone who's watching online or who's listening, my desire outside of these walls, my desire for everyone is that you would know and follow Jesus. Now, here's the thing. I know when I say that, for some of you, you're going, you see that right there. That's the issue I have with you Christians. That's exactly my issue. You guys are always trying to push your belief onto other people. You are always trying to make and cause other people to believe what you believe about Jesus to be true. That's the problem I have with you guys. You always have an agenda. You always have an ulterior motive. You always want people to know about Jesus. And if you really loved me, then why wouldn't you just respect and let me believe the thing that I believe? I respect and let you believe the thing that you believe. And for some of you, you would say, that's exactly the problem that I have with you Christians. And let me just say that if that's you, man, to one, to one, on one hand, I totally understand what you're saying. In fact, I would even say this. To, to some extent, I actually completely agree with you. If the reason that someone loves you is because they have an ulterior motive, I, I think that that's probably not actually true love. I don't know if that's real love. That's manipulation, right? But here, here's what I think, here's where I think the importance is in the difference. I think there's an important uh, distinction that we need to make between two things. I would put it this way. I think we need to distinguish between what I would call an ulterior motive and an ultimate expression. I think that this is a very important distinction to make. Now, some of you are like, what do you mean by that? All right, well, let's think about this. What is an ulterior motive? I think we all know what this is. An ulterior motive is a hidden agenda. That's what it is. It is a secondary agenda. It is you think I'm doing one thing, but I'm actually doing something else. That's what an ulterior motive is. So I think we all have experienced this before. Have you guys ever had something like this happen? This happens to me sometimes. I ran into someone uh, not too long ago, hadn't seen in a while. They said, man, it's really good to see you. I said, that's good to see you too. They said, we should get together and catch up on life. That'd be awesome. Let's grab some coffee. So we did. After a couple of minutes of chit-chat and catching up on life, he said, I'm really glad I saw you because I have this great business opportunity I wanted to let you guys know about. You guys ever have that happen? And I was like, ah, I see what's going on. It's Amway, isn't it? It's got to be Amway. (laughs) And uh, what is that? That's an ulterior motive. That's what that is. Now, I think there's a difference between that and an ultimate expression or an ultimate desire. And some of you are like, what do you mean by that? An ultimate expression is not a hidden agenda. An ultimate expression is not a secondary agenda. And I believe that that a follower of Jesus, a Christian's desire to see other people know and follow Jesus should never be an ulterior motive. But I believe it ultimately is an ultimate expression and desire. It's an ultimate desire that we have for all people. So you might be saying, I don't see the difference between those two things. Okay, well, let me see if I can put it to you this way. If I truly believed, if I truly believe, let's just go with this for a minute. If I truly believe that in Jesus Christ is the forgiveness of sin and is the hope of eternal life, if I truly believe the things that Jesus Christ said about himself and the things that scriptures say, that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that in him, in him, is the, listen, forgiveness that we all need, and the hope of eternity. If I really believe that in Jesus Christ, that in him alone, exclusively, is the full expression of the love of God and the grace of God that is available to all people, if I really believe that, if I really believed that Jesus Christ is the author and is the creator of life, and that in him is found the fullness of life, 
If I really believe that, if I truly believe that every person, every human being's deepest purpose and fulfillment in life is found not in turning from Jesus, but is found in following him, if I really believe that, and I'm, I'm guessing you can probably tell, by the way, I'm getting worked up a little bit, I do, I really do believe this. And I know not everybody does. I know not everybody does. I know not all of you do. I, I know that, but I know that many of you do. I know there's many of you that would say that every fiber of your being agrees with every word on this screen. And here's what I believe. I think it stands to reason that if I truly believe all of these things are true about Jesus and I say that I love you, the ultimate expression of that love would be to point you to Jesus. Not because I have some secondary agenda, but precisely because I love you. I want to tell you about Christ. And so listen, here's the thing. For me to say, for me to say, I love you, and if I believe all these things, for me to say, I love you, but I don't really care if you follow Jesus, I think that would be inconsistent. I think that would be unloving. And I think that that would be completely incompatible with the things that I just said about Jesus, if I really believe that those things are true. Now, don't, don't, I don't want you to hear me wrong. I'm not saying that if you don't follow Jesus or if you don't agree with those things, that that means that we shouldn't love those. Of course, we should love everybody all the time. Always love people, for sure. I think the point is this. If I believe that this is true about Christ, this is where I ultimately want to point people. I love the way uh, D.T. Niles put it. Some of you guys may have heard this before. I love this statement. He said, evangelism, which is just telling people about Jesus, it's just one beggar telling another, where, another one where to find food. I think that's right on. It's just one beggar telling another one where to find bread. And so listen, when we tell others about Christ, disciples tell people about Jesus. Our desire is that everyone would know Christ, not in a pushy, braggadocious, condescending, arrogant way, but because, man, it's an ultimate expression of love. Some of you who are investigating Christ, maybe you have been the victim of the pushy, arrogant, condescending, belligerent type of thing. And I'm sorry for that. But I think when you look at scripture, what you see is it's not an ulterior motive. It's an ultimate desire. It's an ultimate expression of love. So in one sense, who do disciples of Jesus focus on to make disciples of Jesus? Well, everyone. But at the same time, I would say, if you look at the apostle Paul, I would think he would say not just everyone, but also someone, also someone. You're like, what do you mean? Well, look back at the passage. Paul says uh, to Timothy, the things you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses, so this is a message for everybody. We want everyone to know about Jesus. And trust that to, notice what he says, reliable people, to reliable people. And so basically what Paul says here is he says, I want you to take this message that is for everyone, and I want to make sure that you impart it to someone, that you need to impart it to someone. Specifically who? He says reliable people to reliable. It's an interesting term. Some of you guys have different translations, and if you do, it might say to faithful, invest it into faithful people. So what's the idea? Reliable people, faithful people, eager people. What's he talking about here? So if I'm reading this right, I think this is basically what the Apostle Paul is saying. I think he's saying this. I think he's saying that, listen, because of our love for other people, our desire is that we want everyone to know about Jesus. And our whole life is intended to be an arrow that points people to Christ. But here's the point. Not everyone is interested. And not everyone wants to hear it. And not everyone is excited to hear about Jesus. Some people will be very offended to hear about Jesus. I think what Paul's saying is, and that's okay. 
And by the way, that was true for the Apostle Paul. He went around and he would tell people about Jesus. And you know how some people responded? Some people, um, some people opposed him. Some people persecuted him. Some people called him crazy. That happens. And that's going to happen for every follower of Christ as well. But I think what Paul is saying is, as you go around and you're pointing your life to Jesus, some people aren't going to be interested. Some people are going to be offended. Some people are going to, and he says, that's okay. Don't push it. Don't be pushy. Don't be a Jesus jerk. But here's the point. Some people, some people are going to be interested. Some people are going to be hungry to hear more. Some people are going to be faithful and they're going to rely on. And I think what Paul is saying is there should be a different level of intentionality and there should be a different level of engagement when you see someone who's eager and hungry to know and follow Jesus more. There should be a different level of intentionality. So I guess one of the questions might be this. Like I said, I want this to be a practical talk. Some of you might be saying, okay, so my whole life, I wanna try to point to Jesus and you're saying not everyone's gonna respond to that and that's okay, but there's gonna be some people, some reliable and faithful people who are interested. You might be asking, so practically speaking, how do I identify those people? How do I identify who's faithful? And uh, if I could just be real practical, I would give you this. This is, this is a practical tidbit. This might sound weird to you. I think a good way you can do this is uh, you could drop some God sticks. You could drop some God sticks. Some of you are like, what in the world are you talking about? And, uh, and so I'm, I'm going to tell you this, I'm gonna tell you this is, and this is going to sound weird to some of you, but uh, if you've been around me for any length of time, you've probably heard me give this illustration. And the reason I keep giving it over and over again is because I seriously can't find a better, I think this is such a good illustration. It's going to sound so weird to you, but I actually heard this about a decade ago, and it's about the mating ritual of eagles. That's right. Some of you are like, what in the world are you reading? And... Uh, <laughs> But I just got, this blew me away. This blew me away. So check this out. All right, so this, I actually got this off of birdwatchingbuzz.com. <laughs> I don't know. Ready check this out. As is the case with many other bird species, the female bald eagle chooses who she wants to mate with. So that's kind of cool. Uh, lady's choice. And so to choose her mate, the female selects a male that she likes the look of to fly with. So it starts pretty standard, right? She tries to find a cute one. So she finds a cute bald eagle. So during this process, here's what she does. Check this out. She'll pick up a stick, and then she'll drop it to see if the male can catch it. And if he does, she'll continue to pick up larger sticks, and she'll fly higher and drop the stick to see if the male can catch it each time. Now check this out. If the male fails to catch any of her sticks, she'll fly away from him as a signal that, she, that he is not the one that she wants to mate with. Right? She don't want no scrubs. So the female will continue this testing until she finds a male bald eagle who can catch all of her sticks. And if that's the case, then he is the one that she chooses to mate with. Check this out. For life. For life. Now, can I just say, just a side note, how awesome is God's creation? How cool is that? And I also got to say, not only is that cool about the eagles, it's also really good dating advice. I'm just <laughs> telling you, ladies, just throw out some sticks. If he's not picking up your sticks, he ain't worth your time. All right? I'm just going <laughs> to say that. But uh, so it's, it's obvious the illustration breaks down a little bit, but, but here's my point. If you're, looking for, if you're looking for faithful people, I think one of the things you can do is you can drop some God sticks. Drop some God sticks. What's that look like? Well, I think it, maybe it starts like this. Start, start with some small sticks. Maybe you throw it in your conversation. How about this? Maybe you're talking to a coworker or a friend or someone at the gym or whatever family member, and a need comes up. They, you hear about a need or something they're going through in their life. And because you love them, maybe you're going to drop something like this. You're going to say, hey, man, 
Uh, are you okay if I pray for that? I'm, so, I'm really sorry to hear that your dad's in the hospital. That's, that's gotta be rough. Is it okay if I pray? Is, are you okay if this week, if I pray for him? Is that okay? Or, uh, man, I'm excited. You got a job interview next week. That's exciting. What time's your job interview? This might sound weird, but would you be cool if during that time I, I prayed for you about that? And that, for some of you, that sounds like a really bold thing to say, and I think it is bold, but you could throw that out there. Uh, what about something like this? Someone, maybe, uh, maybe for you, you've been starting to follow Jesus, and uh, some of you, this is, this is actually your story. You've just recently started following Jesus, and your life is starting to change because Jesus does that. And as he's changing your life, people are noticing there's some different stuff about you, and they're making comments, and maybe they're even asking you, man, I noticed some, something different about you. You're not doing those things you did before, or it seems like your demeanor has shifted. What, what's going on? And maybe you could say something like this. Maybe you could say, well, you know, the truth is, man, I still struggle. Man, I still struggle. By the way, we all still struggle. Uh, but man, with God's help and the help of community, my life group community, I, I've experienced real life change. There's, there's real change that's happening. But if you just said something like that, just drop that. Or what about this? What if you were in a conversation with someone and they said something that reminded you of something we talked about here on the weekend? What if you did something like this? What if you said, man, you know, that's, I heard an interesting sermon from a really attractive, um, <laughs> humble I forgot to add intelligent pastor. Some of you are like, you're talking about Pastor Kevin, right? Yes. Yes, I am. Uh, And I'd love to share the link with you. Love to share. What if you just said that? Now, here's the point. I think you could say a bunch of different things. But listen, if it's clear by their response that they're resistant or they're not interested, that's totally fine. Listen, I'm not saying don't beat people with a God stick. You just throw it out there. You throw it out there and see if they're willing to pick it up. What if they pick it up? What if they pick it up? Well, I think what you do is you throw out a bigger stick. You throw out a bigger stick. What if they don't? What if they're not interested? Well, that's fine. You don't force it. We're not trying to be pushy, right? But what it probably means is that the Holy Spirit hasn't worked in a way that they're ready for that yet, and that's okay. That's okay. But if they are, I think you can throw out a bigger stick. So if someone comes to you and they say, man, you know, I'm really, I, I think it's really cool to see the change that's happening in your life. It's so cool to hear that God's doing something in your life. You could say, that's, that's awesome. Would you be willing to get together sometime. I'd love to tell you more about it. Maybe we grab coffee and hear each other's stories. Or maybe they say, oh man, you know, I listened to that message that you sent me. And I thought, you know, I don't know if I fully agree with what that guy said. You could say, well, you know what? Why don't we get together? Maybe we could talk about it. Or even better yet, maybe you can come with me to a Christmas Eve service. You can actually see him in person. He's even more attractive if you see him. Uh, and don't, don't say that. Just don't, don't, whatever you do. But I think, I think that, 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 that's part of the point. Now, the, your question might be, okay, so we, we want to invest in everyone. We want everyone to know Jesus. Not everyone wants to hear it. That's okay. We're not gonna be pushy. Some people might be interested. And so we, maybe there's someone who's faithful. Maybe there's someone. So, so how do I begin making disciples? How do I begin investing in a relationship like that? And that's where I wanna get into the second question. And this is a bit more brief on this one, but the How? So how? How does this look? How would it look to invest in someone in a relationship where we could help each other know and follow Jesus? Well, again, I think that there's a lot of practical insight in our passage. So look what it says. Here's what Paul tells Timothy. He says, you then, now notice, he says, my son. Some of you might be like, oh, that's interesting. I didn't know that Timothy was Paul's son. Well, he's not, actually. In fact, this was a term that was used that was a deeply endearing term. And so he says, you, my son, I want you to be strong in the grace that's in Christ and the things that you have heard me say 
in the presence of many witnesses, I want you to entrust into other people. Now, why am I highlighting those words? Well, here's why. Behind these words in this passage, I believe is an incredible story and an incredible example in the relationship between these two men, between Paul and Timothy. And if you're someone who's new to the Bible, you may not know anything about these two guys, but I'll give you the real quick version. Here's basically their story. We actually first learn about the apostle Paul meeting Timothy in Acts chapter 16. And the Bible tells us that uh, Paul is going around and he's you know, telling everyone about Jesus, town to town, village to village. And as he's doing that, and he comes in Acts 16, he comes into a place called Lystra and he encounters this young dude named Timothy. And we actually learn that Timothy was a guy who his mother and his grandmother were very, very strong Christians. They had become Christians under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. We also learn that, uh, that Timothy's father was probably uninvolved in his life, uh, certainly uninvolved spiritually, possibly uninvolved totally. But the Bible tells us that Timothy, uh, Timothy was a follower of Jesus, but he was very eager and he was very hungry and he was very faithful to know more. And so what does the Apostle Paul do? Well, the Bible says that as he's going, telling everyone about Jesus, he's telling everyone about Jesus, he sees Timothy, who's a faithful guy, and he decides to invest in him in a very different kind of way. He says, Timothy, would you be willing to come with me? Would you join my traveling team that comes along with me? And he says, and I want, I want you to, to be alongside of me. And I believe that when you look at the relationship of the Apostle Paul and Timothy, what you're gonna see is that there are three primary ways. I think that there's three primary ways that Paul invested in Timothy that I think are actually very instructive and give us an immense amount of practicality into how this might look in our life as well if we were to disciple someone. What are they? Well, I think the three ingredients or the three components that you see in Paul's relationship with Timothy is that it was first off intentional, it was intentional, it was relational, and it was exponential. It was these three things. What do I mean? Intentional, I mean it was deliberate and it was purposeful. It was prioritized and it was focused. It was relational, what do I mean by that? It was personal and accessible. It was life on life and it was transparent. And then it was exponential, and what do I mean by that? I mean it was multiplying, that it had a goal in mind. It was dynamic and it was organic in its growth. And so those three things, I think, are very, very helpful for us. In fact, I want you to notice what the Bible says in one chapter right after 2 Timothy chapter 2 is 2 Timothy chapter 3. And look what he says to Timothy. He says, you, Timothy. He says, you know about, now look at this. He says, you know everything about my teaching. You know everything. Paul says, I have intentionally passed on to you everything that I know that I have received from Jesus Christ. All that I know about Jesus, all that I have learned about him, theology and doctrine and the story of scripture, I have intentionally passed that down to you, Timothy. But notice, not only does Timothy know his teaching, but he says, Timothy, you also know my way of life. You know my manner of living. You know my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, my endurance, my persecutions. You know about my sufferings. Now, the question is, how in the world would Timothy have known those things about Paul? was because Paul gave him access. It was relational, it was intentional, it was intentional and it was relational. And by the way, you know, when I read this, you guys, I, I can't help but think to myself, the apostle Paul wasn't the only one who did this. I think I know someone else in scripture who did this very same thing. And that was Jesus. Did you guys ever think about this? Jesus, Jesus had a desire for everyone to know the gospel. He had a desire for everyone to know about the kingdom. However, isn't it interesting, commentators speculate that in his ministry, he spent 90% of his time with who? His disciples, man. 
It was his disciples. Did you guys ever think about that? How intentional and relational his time was with his 12 disciples? Did you ever think about, here's Jesus going from town to town to village to village to preach to these giant crowds of people. But did you ever think about what was in between all of those towns and villages and all in between all of those speaking, speaking engagements? There would have been days of travel, hours of walking along with you. Can you imagine these 12 young guys walking with Jesus? Can you imagine the amount of questions that Jesus fielded? Can you imagine the conversations they must have had? Can you imagine the amount of late night fireside chats these guys had? I mean, it was a group of young dudes. Can you imagine the arguments that they would have gotten into each other? Can you imagine the amount of obscene and strange smells that came out of that group of guys? I'm just telling you, man, it was intentional and it was deeply relational. They didn't just know Jesus' teaching, they knew his life. And that was true with Paul as well. And I think what you see with Paul and you see with Jesus is not only was it intentional, not only was it relational, but it was exponential. Look what he says. He says, the things that you, Timothy, have heard from me, now I want you to pass those things on to reliable people who will then in turn teach that to others. In other words, Paul says, I want you to do what I have done for you and I want you to pass that on to other people. I want you to share that with others. Isn't it interesting that in this passage, you see no less than four generations of disciples who make disciples who make disciples. You have Paul, who pours into Timothy. Timothy, who pours into reliable people, who will then in turn teach others. Which, by the way, I believe that we are here today because we are in this category. It's just like Kevin talked about last week. It's a disciple-making chain. And here's what we know. We know that this investment that the Apostle Paul made in Timothy absolutely transformed his life. And I know that anyone in this room who has ever been invested in in that way if you've ever had someone who intentionally and relationally helped you know and follow Jesus and cared enough to do that and in an exponential way, I know that's changed your life. I know it's changed mine. But I also know that there are many of us in this room who have never experienced anything like that. We never have. But here, here's the good news. I believe that because of the power of the Holy Spirit, this is something that every follower of Jesus can do. We can we can invest in everyone and someone. We can make disciples of everyone and someone. And so we might be like, well, what, what might like that look like in my life, intentional, relational, and exponential? Well, here's the thing. I can't fully answer that question for you because I don't know exactly what your life looks like. And I don't think it's a one-size-fits-all thing. But I can give you some considerations to think about, some practical considerations. So let's just talk about intentional for a minute. What would it look like for this to be intentional in your life? Well, I think some considerations might be, uh, well, first off, priority. I think that if it's intentional, that means it's on purpose. That means that it's something that is deliberate. And I think what that means is that for those of us who are disciples of Jesus, making disciples of Jesus should be a priority with all the competing interests and all the competing things that are, that are, that are, that are vying for our time and attention. I think that disciples of Jesus should prioritize this. Um, I think it also speaks to frequency. I think it says something about frequency. If it is something that is a priority, that means that it should show up in my calendar with some amount of regularity. And so um, I actually thought this was good. This is Greg Ogden. He wrote a phenomenal book called Transforming Discipleship. And he said this. He said at the, at the at a, at a ba most basic level, intentional means that the discipling partners will meet on a regular time schedule, preferably weekly. Not always, but preferably weekly. The opposite of intentional is sporadic or it's haphazard. Intentional also implies purposeful. It's a relationship that is established for the purpose of growing together towards maturity in Christ. So I think for sure, yeah, uh, I think that uh, priority is a big deal. I think frequency. 
Uh, this is something that shows up with some regularity uh, in my calendar. And then I think, um, I think content plays a big role in that too. I think that's a big consideration. If, if the goal is that we are intentionally trying to help each other follow Jesus, if that's the goal, then I think we're talking about more than just two friends hanging out, right? This is more than just two guys from church watching the Browns game together, which by the way, I am totally pro that. I think that that is a godly thing to do. Um, but I don't think this is what we're talking about. I think content matters. And so for example, if we're trying to follow Jesus, maybe we're going through a book of the Bible together uh, maybe we're going through a resource that's intended to help each other uh, live out the life that Jesus has called us to. It's accountability. It's we're coming next to each other and we're helping each other grow. Uh, just wanna say on this, if you want a very practical way to do this, a practical opportunity, I actually have uh, one that I, I would like to throw your way. So um, here I have this behind my TV. Some of you guys are like, what else do you have behind that TV? <laughs> like, you, you don't wanna know. So uh, but uh, this is actually uh, one really practical, one very practical way you can do this. So uh, at the Christmas Eve services this, this, uh, this year, uh, we actually are gonna start looking at the Gospel of Luke together. And we're gonna spend from, East, uh, from Christmas all the way to Easter, and we're gonna go through the story of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. It's gonna be awesome. If you've never been through the Gospel of Luke, it is specifically, it is specifically targeted, especially for those who are investigating Jesus. It's phenomenal. Uh, but I, what we're gonna encourage everyone to do in that series is we're gonna encourage you to go through the Gospel of Luke with us. And so there's gonna be a reading plan. We're gonna have some journals that look like this available. This journal is just an ESV uh, Bible journal. So I don't know if you can see this, but on one side of the page, it's just the Bible. And on the other side of the page, it's a blank page that you can just take notes. And uh, we'll, you know, we'll have these available at cost, or you can buy it on Amazon if you want to, or you could just use the Bible that you have. But along with this, on the inside, there's gonna be a QR code and a reading plan. And the reading plan is gonna have read, weekly readings that you can go through through the Gospel of Luke. And then the QR code will link you to some helpful resources and to some questions. Here would be a challenge. Here would be a very practical way to do this. What if you did this? What if you threw out a stick? What if you invited someone to come with you to Christmas Eve? Or what if you said, hey, I see someone who's eager to know and follow Jesus or someone who wants to investigate what if you said, hey, would you be willing to once a week get together with me and we'll go through the gospel of Luke and we'll do the readings and we'll go through the questions? I think that's a very practical way to do that. Maybe you're someone who's investigating Jesus. What if you said, I'm gonna take that investigation seriously. I'm gonna grab the gospel of Luke and I'm gonna ask someone, maybe the person you came with, to go through that together with. I think that's a really practical way to do that. So intentional considerations, I think that those things matter. Relational. Yeah, I think some of the ways that we need to think about this, uh, proximity really matters. So if the goal is life on life, that you have exposure to my life and I have exposure to your life, I think that someone who's in the natural pathway of your life, uh, that's actually pretty important. So if, if it's someone out of state, I think that can greatly diminish the relational quality and transparency. Uh, I think that uh, quantity matters. I think that's something to consider. What I mean here is I think we really need to consider the amount of people that we can reasonably engage with on this level. Like the truth is, the bigger the group is, the, the harder it is to, to contain and to, to basically preserve a quality of relationship. So for this reason, some people would say disciple-making should be one-on-one, -on -one, that it's one person meeting with another. I know for me, uh, for most of my life, that's how it showed up for me, is it's one-on-one. -on -one. 
Uh, however, some people would say, no, not that, maybe a group of three. Maybe it's a triad, or maybe it's a group of four, or something like that. And I, I don't know. I don't know if there's a magic number to it, but I think the point is, at some point, uh, if the number is too great, you start to forfeit the relational quality. So I think it's got to be something that we consider. And then I think gender. I think that's important, too. There's certain things that I think men um, should probably, most likely, would, would be better talking to men about, uh, struggles, concerns, issues, and the same thing with women and women. I think that's something to be considered. Lastly, the exponential. Uh, so with exponential, I think that uh, one of the considerations is mission, that, uh, that this is not in and of itself an end in and of itself, that the hope and the goal is that this is something that we would eventually want to share with other people, that it is exponential in its reach. And then lastly, I think motivation. I think that really matters. And this leads into the last question, which I only spend a minute on, but I think it's so important that we get this. And the last question is the why. So disciples make disciples of Jesus. Who? We said everyone and someone. How? Intentional, relational, exponential. Why? So why would we do this? Why do disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus? And I think this is such an important question. Because I believe that if we miss the why, it's important for us, it's possible that we can make disciple making something that it was never intended to be. So what is the motivation? Well, look what Paul says. He says, you then, my son Timothy. He says, you need to be strong. You need to be strong. For you to do what we're saying, for you to, it's uncomfortable, it's hard, it's not easy, and it's not natural. You're gonna have to be strong to do this. But do you notice what he says? He says, you need to be strong in what? In grace. You need to be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. You guys, I think this is so important because what Paul tells Timothy is he says, he doesn't say, listen, Timothy, you need to be strong in your religious duties. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, Timothy, you need to be strong in your discipline, your self-discipline to get the job done. He says, no, Timothy, this task that we're talking about is so big and is so beyond you and none of us are qualified to do this. And so it's gonna require a strength that is so big. And what is that? He says, it's gotta be the grace of God. It's gotta be the grace. What does that even mean to be strong in grace? You know, some of you are even asking that question. What exactly does that mean to be strong in grace? Well, what is grace? Let me tell you, man, grace is one of my favorite words. I love grace. Grace is the name of our church. Grace is the name of my daughter. Her name is named after this. I love grace. Grace is at the center of the gospel. And what is it? Here's what grace is. Grace is the unmerited and undeserved love and favor of God. Why is it so important that we're strong in grace? Because it's the first thing to go. It's so unhuman. It is so unearthly. And if we are not motivated and empowered by grace, we miss, we miss, we miss the whole thing. I put it this way in my notes. If in pursuing Jesus's mission, we fail to love others and show grace, well, then we fail in our mission because it is a mission that to love others that's motivated by grace. And the ultimate expression of loving others is sharing Jesus. I just gotta say this, if for disciples of Jesus, if you're a follower of Jesus in this room, if disciple making is a have to, if it's something that makes you feel guilty, if it's, oh, I really ought to do that, and it's not a, Man, we get to. I think, I think maybe we're missing something. I think maybe something is off. The Apostle Paul says this about the grace of the gospel. He says that the grace of the gospel is a treasure. It's a treasure. And you guys know what a treasure is. It's something precious. It's something valuable. It's something deeply loved that you share with those that you deeply love. 
And so because of that, you guys, here's what I believe. I believe that disciple making is not, it is not a sale to pitch. Telling other people about Jesus is not a sale to pitch. Disciple making is not a duty to perform. It is not a pyramid scheme to work. Disciple making is not a curriculum to instruct. What is it? It's this. Disciple making is a treasure that is to be shared of the glory and the grace of Jesus Christ. I'm asked the band to come up and as they settle in, I'll end with this last thought and we'll pray. Why do disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus? Why do we do that? Well, in part because Jesus said to and we follow him. But I think more than that, the reason disciples of Jesus make disciples of Jesus is because this is exactly what he has done for us. We do this because he has done this for us. Do you guys ever think about this? How has God loved us in Christ? He has loved us intentionally. He has loved us relationally. And he has invited us to love exponentially the world that he cares about. He's loved us intentionally. When the, when the Bible tells us that God loves us, it's not just some vague abstract notion of love. It was demonstrated specifically. And when was it demonstrated? Well, man, this is what we celebrate at Christmas. What do we celebrate? God so loved the world that he did what? He sent his son in a definitive, in a definitive act in something that was intentional. He initiated with us. That's what his love is like. His love's intentional. His love's relational. What do you mean? The God of the universe put on flesh. This is what we celebrate at Christmas. God with us. It does not get more relational than that. But listen, Jesus came and he died and he rose that we might have hope. And Jesus didn't just save us and leave us, but he saved us and he called us, and he gave us his Holy Spirit, and he invited us into the greatest mission that is motivated by love that this world has ever seen. And for those of us who follow Jesus, we get to be part of this incredible thing that God is doing in this world. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, I want to say thank you that you loved us this way. Thank you that you loved us with an unearthly, with an unbelievable love, that is so foreign to anything we've ever experienced before. It's almost too good to be true. That you loved us intentionally, that you came to us relationally, you put on flesh, and then you've called us into this act of looking and loving others in the same way. So God, I pray in these next moments as we worship and sing, would you help us to maybe even catch a vision for what this could look like in our lives? God, we can't do it. We definitely can't do it. We're imperfect and flawed people. But because of your grace, because of your spirit, we know we can because you've called us to. And so Jesus, I pray for each person in this room, help us just to even think about what it would look like to take a step in this direction. And for those, God, who maybe are investigating you today, I pray that your grace, that your love would be made known and evident to them. Maybe they would even be able to respond to it here today. We pray these things in Jesus' name.